We've been uh, spending a number of weeks in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, some of the Psalms that uh, speak about David. And this morning, uh, we come to a close in the series on David, a man after God's own heart. And um, I think it's okay for me to say that I really enjoyed preaching this series. I just love getting into the Word and sharing it with you. It just uh, helps us all as we are shaped more and more into the image of Christ as we see how this, uh, this uh, man who pointed to the coming of Jesus Christ uh, lived his life. Uh, a great man of faith and, and yet a great sinner, as we've discovered the last several weeks. And this morning we're going to uh, review that as well as we continue the theme of confession and repentance. I recall uh, years ago, like what was it, about 40-some years ago, I was doing one of these college summer jobs, whether if you were in high school and just graduated or, going to, or had a summer job, or if you wanted a school or this or that. Usually there's something you're trying to get some, some money during the summer. And one of my jobs was to, to go to a place called Castle Park in, in Holland, Michigan, which is where a lot of Chicago people came, and they came to their cottages for the summer. And first I was a porter. And I would carry these suitcases, like they didn't have elevators up the dunes, so I had to carry these suitcases up these steps and the like to, to the people's homes when they arrived. And then I got more hired on as a grounds kind of keeper. And, and part of our job, especially in the spring, was to clear the, all the properties of their leaves. And we're talking like 50, 60, 70 different uh, cottages. And I first was doing that on my own, and we had an old, I don't know if it was a Chevy or a Ford, I don't know about cars or trucks that much, but it was like a 1960 Chevy. Uh, just kind of, it worked fine. It was just older. And uh, we would use that. We would rake up all the leaves, blow up all the leaves, throw them on the back of this pickup truck. And I would drive up to a dune, which was about probably twice the height as the ceiling, with a 45-degree angle down to Lake Michigan. And Mr. Brown, who you hear a little about this morning, would say, that's where you need to throw the leaves. So I would be doing this for a couple days on my own, two, three days, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get this done in time. So I went to Mr. Brown and said, hey, I need some help. Well, don't you got any friends at college you can have come and help you? He was about 82 years old and just a little rough, but also a nice guy. And I said, well, I think I can find someone. So I found a friend of mine named Dave. And I said, hey, Dave, you want to help me wake up some leaves? It's good pay. Uh, and, and we just rake them up from the properties, bring them up on the dune, and throw them over the dune, and just let them go down and fill in the holes. And, oh, sure, I'd love to do it. So he joined me for uh, a couple days, and then on the third day, I'm driving the truck all the time. So he kind of says, hey, you don't, don't, don't you think it's about my turn to drive the truck? I said, I don't care. Uh, uh, and this was very crucial. I said, do you know how to drive a clutch? Well, I've done it a couple times. Oh, okay, fine. So the morning went fine, up two, three, four, five times, and back up, you know, you back up to the corner of the dune. Now look, at we're like right 90 feet, 45 degrees down. It went fine. We, I shoved them off. I'm in the back in the leaf, shoving them off. About the sixth time that day we went up there, he starts backing the truck up, and he's just not stopping, okay? He's not stopping. The, the dune starts straight down to Lake Michigan. I said, Dave, you've got to hit the brake, Right? So I'm on the back of this with these leaves, and I'm like, I'm not hanging around for this. So I jumped off, and then the truck hit the wheels went over first. Then the rest of the truck was just starting to go over. I said, Dave, I would suggest you get out as well. So he just opened the door in time to get out, and I kind of grabbed his arm to hold him, 
And boys and girls, what do you think happened? The truck went straight down that dune. By God's grace, I can say, it didn't turn to the left, it didn't turn to the right. Straight down, right into Lake Michigan. <laughs> On the way to Chicago! So here you have two college kids looking at each other, and I'm like, and like, what are we going to do now? What options do we have? We'll get to those in just a moment. Uh, maybe you had, a, I can't believe you had a similar experience, but I would imagine you maybe had a time in your life where we'll just call it blowing it big time, whether it's your job, whether it's at home with your family, wherever you have been, you really messed up big time. And you had to make a decision about what you're going to do. Um, what do you do when you blow it big time? Because you see, you just don't blow it big time with family or friends or on the job, wherever you might be, make mistakes. But sometimes, even as a Christian, you blow it big time with God. You just mess up bigger than you have before, and it's not pretty. And you know that you need to respond in some way. What do you do when you blow it big time? Um, we're going to turn to Psalm 51 this morning. Kyle has been reading and, and, and quoting, reading, praying different sections of the psalm because Psalm 51 is... is as it's entitled in, in the, before the psalm starts, it says, listen, he says, he's recalling the time as we preached on last week when Nathan approached him. And Nathan, remember, says, you're the man, David. Time to stop covering it up. You're the man. David confesses that he's the man. And surely sometime, I would guess shortly after that, but it may have been longer, we don't know, he wrote Psalm 51. Because he knew he messed up big time, big time committing adultery, murder, lying, sexual abuse. And it weighed heavy on him. Now that he was found out, because remember your sins will find you out, David writes a psalm of repentance uh, as an, a, an approach in getting right with God again. And let's read this psalm together. And this is a psalm you've got to read often because sometimes uh, we don't confess very well. We don't repent very well. And I've always, personally, I use Psalm 51 as my repentance confession time. Because it's so good. And it will teach us how to repent when we sin. Psalm 51, these words, as, as I said, as the superscription says, it's a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. These words... Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Sinful I was since birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness in the inner womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop. And hyssop was the thing they used in those days to clean things. 
So he uses a common day illustration for him. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me. I'm sure you've heard these words before. And I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifices, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifice of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to take a few moments this morning. Uh, let's just call them uh, steps that, that anyone needs to take in approaching God. Steps that you need to take when you blow it big time when you make a wreck out of your life because of a sin you've committed. Step one is simply a matter of looking for mercy and seeking forgiveness. The first thing, and my, my friend's name was Dave, it's now, so it's not David, but my friend Dave. As, as Dave and I stood there on the top of this dune watching the truck just slowly head out, I don't know, we're, Right there it went. We're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, we knew that we're going to have to approach Mr. Brown, right, the boss. We're going to have to approach him. And, and um, so we did, though we thought otherwise first. We approached him, and, and we really approached him looking for mercy and forgiveness. But how do you do that? Well, what's this? this guy was kind of a rough, gruff kind of guy. But we approached him looking for mercy. And, and I still remember us. I can still see it. We're both like, you know, standing before the Wizard of Oz. Remember the, the three friends of Dorothy when they stood before Oz? How they just like were shaking? That's what kind of we were doing. We for sure thought we would lose our job, right? But we had no idea what he was going to do to us or, or against us in any way. We, we fear him. David, notice in verses 1 through 3. David approaches God looking for mercy and forgiveness. He knew he had to. He should have looked for mercy, what, a whole year ago when the event happened. David now, having been found out, approaches God looking for mercy. And you know what he he's pretty much says? Lord, I blew it big time. I really messed up. But I know that this is important. This is why it's important to know who God is. He says, I know who you are, Lord. And unlike me, I know that you're the kind of God who is full of mercy, who is full of love, who is full of compassion. I know you're the kind of God that I 
can come to. That's why he says these words like, blot out my transgressions. Wash me, cleanse me. Literally in Hebrew, this is kind of interesting, I thought. He, the word is, de-sin me. Lord, de-sin me. I don't like it when I mess up big time. I'm coming to you in mercy, and I know you can take care of things. I know you're the, the merciful, forgiving kind of God, unlike any other gods that the world has. You are the kind of God that will embrace me and receive me and accept me and forgive me. First of all, this morning, it's just simply important for you to ask the question, do you know God as this kind of God? Sometimes when I talk to people, there's, there's, and maybe it's because of preaching earlier in our tradition, which was a whole lot of hell and damnation, and you're going to hell, we have a God who was angry and judge, judgmental, and, and he's going to wipe you off the face of the earth when you sin. Yes, he will eventually. That's what's going to happen when Jesus comes again for those who aren't uh, uh, a one with God. But, but I know I was brought up in a tradition where I heard a lot of judgment, but not a whole lot of grace necessarily. I think the church turned a corner in years past to try to get it right. But maybe you're the kind of person that when you sin, you're afraid to approach God because you're afraid of what he might do to you and the like. David says, listen, I need you to understand something. When you blow it big time with God, remember that God is a God of love and a God of mercy. Oh, you're still going to have consequences for your sin. You, you can't get away from that. But you've got to remember that God is a God who will offer mercy and forgiveness if you come to him. So we need to go to him. I, I know boys and girls, it's just like when I, when I would have to approach my dad when I messed up. The same kind of thought went under my head. Oh, am I going to get it? Because <laughs> I really messed up sometimes. And, and when we messed up, my dad let us know we messed up. And we were disciplined. And sometimes, you know, I was afraid even to approach dad or mom. And that can happen with God as well. But David says, listen, you've got to go to God looking for mercy and forgiveness. Don't shy away from him. You've got to go to him. He is waiting with open arms to receive you when you mess up. So first, I want to encourage you this morning to keep that in mind when you sin. Run to God. Go to him. Ephesians 2 verse 4 tells us that we have a God who is, who is rich in mercy and great in love. That, that word in the Old Testament is that hesed word I mentioned before, which is just God's just ultimate faithful love that he never stops loving us. Go to mercy. Go to God for mercy and for love. Someone says it this way. God's mercy is bigger than any mistake that you can make. Just get that in your heads. And even pass it on to your children and you discipline them. You can put yourself as a parent in there saying, son, daughter, I have a mercy that is bigger than any mistake that you can make. Don't ever be afraid to come to me. That's what God wants us to do to him. Boys and girls, teenagers, that's what you need to feel when you go to your parent or to someone that you sinned against. A mercy that we can offer is greater than any sin that you can make. Look for mercy. Seek forgiveness. Step two is to admit you're wrong and to confess your sin. In other words, what this simply means is to be brutally honest, transparent. When you go and looking for mercy, asking for forgiveness, you've got to spill the beans all out. This is what I did. Right from the start. 
Now, as I mentioned, when, as Dave and I stood there watching this truck slowly go to Chicago, it was taking a slow, slow route. And if I forget to say in this message that we did get the truck back out, we did, but in case I forget, you can ask me how afterwards if I don't say it. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, boy, we always taught to be honest. Uh, my cadet, my cadet, let me see, reverent, obedient, compassionate, consecrated, trustworthy, pure, grateful, loyal, industrious, cheerful. One of those in there is about being honest, I think, in some way, right? Do it. Be, be the Christian that you're supposed to be. So we said, well, these are the options you have. I'm like, okay, we got to go see Mr. Brown, right? We're going to go see Mr. Brown. And we're like, oh, we're looking for mercy, man. you got to forgive us for what happened. So then I'm thinking, yeah, right. What, what is this we stuff? I wasn't driving that truck, <laughs> right? Why? Don't put the blame on me. Uh, I could have said, hey, Mr. Brown, you know this person that I brought along? He was in the truck. He doesn't know how to drive a clutch because when, he, when I said just hit the brake in the, in the truck, he hit the clutch instead and down and went. So don't put this on me. You know how easy it is, right? When you sin or when you make a mistake, it's easy to pass the blame, isn't it? So we thought about it. I thought about, well, we could pass the blame. Or better yet, I said, hey, Dave, you know what? Let's, let's, let's just go to him and say, uh, two guys from Hope College came and stole the truck while we were working. And then we found it in Lake Michigan. Right? Pass the blame on the, another college or something. Yeah, of course, we didn't go that route. We thought best, as we both were taught in our homes. Uh, we should approach Mr. Brown and admit what we did and just spill the beans and have the courage to do it. And we did. This is what David is doing here as, as he writes in Psalm 51. He says, listen, Lord, I, verses 3 to 6, he says, I acknowledge my sin. This is his confession. I acknowledge my sin. I knew better and I did it anyway. How many times have you said that or thought that? I knew better, but I did it anyway. Being brutally honest with God. That's what God wants to hear from you. Everything. Spill it out. Be brutally honest and transparent. He already knows what you did anyway. You might as well tell him and agree with him. He knows if you're holding something back. Be honest. You see, when we blow up big time, we're having a failure. That's how God wants us to approach him. Just admit it. Boys and girls, with your parents or with God as well. Be brutally honest. Take responsibility. How many times have you said, well, it's my brother's fault or it's my sister's fault? I wouldn't have done that, but they did this first. No, you just say, no, you know what, I'm part of the problem here. And you go to God and you say, I am the problem here. We need to learn to confess our sins. Uh, it's so important. There are a number of churches, and not, not to downgrade any church, but there are a number of churches that no longer practice confession as part of a congregational worship time. And that's dangerous ground to walk on. We need to confess our sins every single week together as a congregation. Because we're not perfect yet. And we want to go to God and, and, and approach God without fear. So that he can say your sins are forgiven. Confess your sins. Lord, they did a bad thing. Lord, I'm a sinner in need of mercy. I'm coming to you. And I know you're the kind of God. The type of God that's going to forgive me. Because, as we learned in the New Testament, with 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins. Notice the if. If we confess, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us. God's ready to forgive you. But if you don't confess them, he's not going to come to you and say, okay, you're forgiven. He's waiting to hear those words. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for what I've done. God wants us to be brutally honest with him. 
Step three is about getting right with God again. It's about seeking restoration, and some might call it today uh, asking God for an uh, extreme makeover kind of thing. It's a matter of uh, a time comes when you need to restore this relationship because right now it's still broken. As we talked on with Mr. Brown, although I wanted to hurry the process because I reminded him the truck is on its way to Chicago, so it's okay to talk about what needs to happen to us, but we better get, take care of that truck before it gets too far out and we can't get a tow line out of the truck because that's eventually what happened, how we got it up, a tow truck with a long enough uh, um, cable to hook onto it. We, uh, Mr. Brown had a decision to make. Now, specifically about the truck, because we're pretty much sure, you know, even though it went down without tipping to the left or the right, there's probably some damage underneath, the drive shaft and this and that, because there's rocks that had to go over to. That's why it was amazing it never uh, uh, flipped to the side. We had to make a decision. He says, what am I going to do with this truck? Oh, I love this truck, he says. I'm thinking, you might not love it so much when you see it, but he loved this truck. It was like the truck uh, for years that they used for this. And he said, well, one option they have is to junk it. What do you do with a wreck? He said, well, you know, we could bring it to the junkyard and you uh, just, uh, yeah, it's worthless, a worthless piece of wreck. Scrap it, whatever it takes. I want nothing to do with it. The other option was to take it to the body shop. Once we got it back up out of the water, take it to the body shop and try to restore it to its original image. He said, I think it's savable. I'm going because I'll be driving it again, right? He said, no, I, I think we can save it. And they made a decision to bring it to the body shop, and he put me in charge of that. He didn't want to put Dave in charge of that. He put me, bring it to the body shop, see what they can do, because I love this truck, and I think it's fixable. I took it to the body shop, and that, of course, took it to a garage as well. Friends, I can't tell you how unbelievable that truck looked when it came back. I was shocked at what they could do, because it had a few dents here and there as well. I had to put a steel bumper on the back instead of the metal bumper, but it was like back to its original beauty. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Not, not only back to its original beauty, we could go right back to work, well, it was two weeks later, and use that truck again. Back on the road again, because the truck was restored. David is asking God as well in this psalm, verses 7 through 12. He says, Lord... I want a complete restoration. I really messed up, and my life is a wreck right now. I want a complete restoration. I need an extreme makeover. And, you know, God would have every reason to say, uh, no. You made a wreck out of your life. I want nothing to do with you. Uh, you're a mess. Um, but he loves us too much. That's what he tells David. Cleanse me, wash me, purify me. God loved David too much to leave him as, as a wrecked life would be. And to leave him alone and say, I can't love you anymore. Yeah, I know I made a covenant with you to be faithful, but since you're not, I'm not. God would have every right to do that, but, but he doesn't. And he gives David this, this extreme makeover. And David was restored to his original beauty as a man after God's own heart. 
when we blow it big time, God doesn't give us what we deserve, Psalm 103, right? What God would have every right to do is say, I don't want you anymore. Look at the mess you made of things, not only your life, but the lives of all those around you. You really wrecked your life. And you know what? I don't think um, I can salvage much out of it anymore. I'm going to put you in the sinner's junkyard, and that's where you're going to stay. God would have every right to do that. He would. But, as with David, as with Mr. Brown, God loves us too much. What is it uh, that's coming to mind? Hosea 11, where he says to Ephraim, Ephraim, uh, oh, how I love you. I can't let you go. To his people, I love you too much just to let you go. He would have every right to trash us. But he doesn't. And he says, come to me. Uh, friends, go to him and seek restoration. And you can get an extreme makeover. You can become God's next fixer-upper project. Some of you have fixer-uppers. You've worked on fixer-uppers. I was watching until about 1130 last night. Flip this house. God is able to do that with someone who made a mess out of their life. People like you and me. He says, I can give you an extreme makeover. You are my next fixer-upper project, and I'm going to fix you up so well that that image of Christ that I have in you is going to be restored. This is amazing. This is grace at work. Let me restore you, he says, to your original beauty. It's powerful. Nobody else can do that. Let me restore you to your original beauty. And he does that because he values us that much. You say, oh, praise God, he doesn't put me in the sinner's junkyard. What this is called in, in uh, some of our doctrine is sanctification. Sanctification is the real change in, in a man and a woman from the sordidness of sin to the purity of God's image. This is sanctification, being made holy. I can make you holy again. That's all because of Jesus' blood and sacrifice. I can make you holy. I'm going to restore the image of Christ in you again. You really messed it up, but I'm in the business of putting you back to your original beauty. And friends, you've seen it. I've seen it. Many of us have experienced it. It's unbelievable what God can do with someone who made a wreck of their life. And maybe you're sitting here this morning. Maybe you're listening online. And you're thinking, God, yeah, right, Pastor Jim, that's you talking. But God would never, ever receive me for what I've done in my life. I'm like the worst of the worst. Well, first of all, I need to say all of us are the worst of the worst. Just as Paul said in First. Timothy 1, verse 15, I'm, I'm the worst of sinners. It doesn't matter what you, who you are, what you've done. And if, if, you're, if your rap sheet is like David's, I doubt it. God says, I'll take any life that comes to me and that wants to be changed and brought back to wholeness. You may have messed up big time in your marriage, in your family, in your job, whatever it is, and you feel like a, a loser and that no one's ever going to love you again or take you again. God says, listen, I'm not like that. If you come to me, I can restore you to your original beauty. But in order for that to happen, you need to come to me. And if you come to me, I will not only restore you to your original beauty, just like this truck, I'm going to put you back on the road again. I can still use you in my kingdom. Yeah, but look what I did. And somebody else might think, the person sitting next to you or in front of you, they might think, oh, no, you have no use to God anymore. God says, untrue, false, don't believe a word of it. 
You come to me, I can put your life back together piece by piece. I can make you whole again. The image of Christ will be in you, and I can use you in my kingdom. But in order for that to happen, you've got to come to me, and I can restore wholeness back to your life. Seeking restoration and extreme makeover. And finally, uh, step number four. After you've blown it big time and after you've come to God and, 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 God is, and, and confessed it and God graciously restores you, there's this matter of testimony. This matter of testimony. Share what God has done for you. This is where a lot of us haven't yet made that step. We, we pretty much can make it up to step three, but step four... There's still something more to be done that some of us learn, need to learn to do better. It's a matter of sharing what God has done for you to others who are going through the same kind of thing that you've been through. A friend of yours, a stranger to you, may come to you and say, and you may say, hey, you know, let me tell you about community church. Let me tell you about life's transformed by Christ. Yeah, yeah, yada, 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 fine and fine. But you know what? God is never going to restore me to that thing, and, and if he did, um, I don't think he has any use for me. Your opportunity to say, and this is where you have to be more blatantly honest with people, who, who those of us who think we're so perfect, you need to say, let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about a time that I failed God, my family, my work, whoever it was, a friend, a stranger, big time. Let me tell you my life, what I did, and how God has gloriously restored me to wholeness because you need to hear my testimony because it's going to point you to the grace of God and how God who did that for me is the kind of God that did that for you. It's been 40 years since I've seen Mr. Brown long past on. But I told Dave from that day forward when he was so, he was so gracious to us as we stood there like this. He was so gracious to us to allow us to stay on, to allow us to get back into the truck and continue the work. I've been singing his praises for 40 years, and I'll continue to sing his praises till I die. Because I thought, wow, that's love, that's graciousness that he's willing to take us back and to, to restore us like that. David says in verses 13 through 19, he, says, he talks about, God, now I'm going to make a promise to you. He says, let me make a vow to you something I'm going to promise you. If you restore me, this is what I'm going to do. I will teach transgressors your ways. I will teach anyone who's failed you and to think you're not the kind of God who would take you back. He says, I'm going to tell them my story. I'm going to teach them and use my life as an example to show, listen, let me tell you my story, my testimony. We have a God who takes you back time and time and time and time again. And it doesn't matter what you've done or how bad the deed. And maybe someone needs to hear that again this morning. David's, David's desire to, to teach people about this gracious God and to point others to God, to Christ, when we blow up big time. And I think that's something we still need to learn to do better. We're just not very good at it. We've had a number of people come up in front of this podium here and told their story. Right? God's grace. Some of you are sitting here this morning who did that because someone had to hear that testimony. You see, when you do that, I can't tell you how many of those people that stood here where someone came to me a day, a week later and say, boy, I'm sure glad I heard that testimony because I had to hear it. You better believe you had to hear it. 
because I didn't think God was in the business necessarily of taking me back because I messed up my life so much. That being the case, maybe there was a time in your life in the past, recently, there will be a time else that comes in the future where you mess up. You just mess up and you blow it big time. And you got to make a decision. And if you make a decision to go to God for mercy and to receive his love, wonderful. And if you get forgiveness, it will happen. And when God restores you, which he will, it doesn't stop there. Share your testimony with others. This is what God did to me. It's a powerful testimony. Tell people how God graciously received you back and how God was, did this fixer-upper on you and he restored you into the image of Christ. And not only that, he's still using you in his kingdom because there's a place for you. There's always a place for you to be used by God when you come back to him. You see, friends, it's simply unbelievable it's unbelievable what God could do with someone who made a wreck of their life. And if you're listening this morning here or online and you think, well, yeah, that's me. I'm going through that right now. God is that kind of loving, merciful, forgiving God. And he wants to restore you. He wants to put you back on the road again. He wants to use you in his kingdom. But in order for that to happen, you need to come to him. Do you have a testimony to share? Every one of us does. And maybe this will spur some of us on to talk to Kyle, who's our, well, no, he's not actually. Rose is, right. You're kind of our testimony finder now. Rose Weir's one of our members. You say, hey, I got to share my testimony because I know there's someone who needs to hear this because I know there's somebody who's going through the same thing that I went through, and I need to give them hope as their life goes forward. You have a testimony to share. And somebody needs to hear it. You can go to Rose, you can call Kyle, go to Rose, and to say, I'm going to share my testimony because I want to show people through my life how God has gloriously restored me when I blew it big time. And that's the challenge we have this morning. Take those steps, but in the end, tell other people about it. Because as David knew, that's the kind of God we have full of love, full of mercy, always willing to receive, always willing to forgive, always willing to restore, and then to share how he can do that with others as he did that with you. We bow our heads together. <clears throat> Father, what a powerful, powerful psalm this is. And some of us need to take our highlighter out or, or whatever we use if we mark in our Bibles and put a big asterisk by this psalm. Because we need to continue to learn and to be encouraged to repent, to confess, to go to you when we sin. And to see you as a God who is, who is full of mercy and love if we come in true repentance. May we read this psalm often and may, may this congregation... Uh, when we come to worship together, may we never stop the practice of confession that is so necessary. Help us not to be fearful of it, but to understand that we have a God who cares and who is merciful and, and so full of compassion. And speaking of compassion, Father, we, we continue to pray for just a, a number of our members who, who need that compassion as well. As uh, 
Ken Jellema's in hospital due to a blood clot in his lung, just being watched so carefully. For Bill White, as he remains on a ventilator and is still not woken up from being on this machine. For Ann White, his wife, as she recovers slowly but recovering with a family member. And then for others, as Bernice DeYoung and Bernice Hubers and Alice Rose and Jeff Kreidoff, as he continues to recover and yet on a long road to recovery. For Cindy Denouden, as uh, she takes baby steps in recovery. And others, Father, there's, there's so much that we need from you in regards to mercy and compassion as well. Not only that we can come to you with our sins, but that we can come to you with all our brokenness and all our health issues and problems. And you're right there, all ready to receive us. We praise you this day. 